You are listening to 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is a broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon, this is Encyclopedia on 3CR. Thank you very much to Freedom Species back, back next week from 1pm. If you missed something on the show and you want to hear more of it, 3CR's website is the place to go, 3cr.org.au, and follow the links to the Freedom of Species program page. From there, you can subscribe to their podcast, find them on social media, and find their website with more content from the team that run Freedom of Species, which you can do for any other show that you hear on uh, 3CR, including our own. Um, so please do so. My name's Nick, this is Encyclopedia, uh, and it's a show about the always complex interactions between uh, the altered states caused by plants, chemicals, uh, synthesised chemicals, fungi, um, even some animals, as we might hear about today, although we might have to bump that because it's, it's become a full show. It's been a full week. We've actually... Uh, Ash sitting across from me. Ash, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Nick. <laughs> um, been a full week. We've been talking a little, about, a little bit about that. Um, a lot going on uh, at the moment. Uh, Friday with the New South Wales, uh, New South Wales coroner repeat, uh, report, releasing their report on the findings uh, of six deaths over New South Wales festival season last year um, I see today in the Herald Sun um, there was a little piece about uh, Glenn Weir um, the acting um, uh, no he's the assistant police commissioner he now has the drugs portfolio for Victoria Police and uh, he's he's uh, labelled he's named five festivals Rainbow Serpent Festival Beyond the Valley Falls Festival Strawberry Fields which is actually over the border in New South Wales um, but just only just mm. and um Beyond, Babylon, I Babylon, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, were all named specifically as festivals that he wants to target because he claims it's a, a drug fueled culture there, uh, yeah. which is pretty patronising. But um, so one of the things that was well, there's a couple of things that's particularly concerning in this. Like one is that right now we've just had a coroner's report highlighting that these kind of policing behaviours increase harms. Uh, she said that she found compelling evidence to that that was the case, and. Um, the use of drones. So that was one thing in the article, and it's they rolled it out, uh, I think, for the first time at Listen Out Festival a couple of months back. And essentially, police are going to be flying their little drones over um, festivals looking for suspect behaviour. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, was highlighted in the article was that... Um, I always like to put this in quotation. There's, quote, police intelligence <laughs> that um, that people sometimes bury substances uh, around the perimeter of a festival before the event and then go and dig it up later. So that was one of the things that they said they would be looking for with these drones, people around the perimeter of festivals. But um, I it's- kind of find it a bit dubious that it, it is well it's dubious and let's think back for a moment because we've talking a lot we've been talking a lot about the uh, the history of this culture of the culture especially the sort of uh, doof festivals but festival culture more broadly in Australia and um, there was once upon a time there are still festivals like this where uh, it was frowned upon to even have a camera uh, at the festival because the ethos there is about connection is about community you know they want to say drug fueled but we can go to any bar around Melbourne, and that's a drug-fueled culture, but that's not the point, is it? Mm. We're, we're, not, we're not going, oh, well, people are just just having drinks and it's just drug-fueled, because that's patronising. You're completely missing the point of what's going on there. So now we have eyes flying over people's campsites where people are trying to, you know, have a feeling of freedom and, and, and of expression, and this, this is absolutely um, oppressive. Yeah. Is it? 
And like depending on the event, some of these events, the the element that is at the core of the culture isn't drug use, it's self-expression. And sometimes this self-expression, you know, it might uh, present itself by people being naked or partially naked. The idea that now there's going to be floating drones filming all of that, it's... Um, it's attacking a broader element of the culture that's not just about drug use. It's it's really quite an intimidating idea that, um, you know, if you choose to go to music festivals, which for a lot of people are about the music or they're about other aspects of it. I mean, for me, you know, I, I like the yoga. <laughs> like, if I've not been practicing yoga much, festivals are often a way for me to ease myself back into a regular practice of yoga or workshops on various topics, particularly bigger festivals like Rainbow Serpent, they have a, they have a very deep and expansive uh, list of um, workshops, galleries, art, performances. Um, opening and ceremony, by the, there's a whole Aboriginal camp there. It's on Australia Day weekend. I mean... Yeah. And, and that's one of the things at these events as well. Most of them uh, have an opening ceremony with the local Indigenous community. And for a lot of people, that's one of their first ways of having a deeper connection to that element of Australian culture. Um, and the, the idea that, you know, they're just all about drugs and that's all that's going on there and that's all that the police can see is really, you know, it's really dismissive of the broader element of what these events are about and what they mean for people who go to them. And the other thing that's slightly concerning as well is that, you know, over the past few months in particular at other protest actions, we've seen some disturbing behaviour from some police officers. And I'm betting that that's a tip of the iceberg sort of thing. I'm not saying that it's all through the police force. I'm sure there are plenty of good police officers too. But the point is that there is a culture in there of people that look like they're essentially they're, they're alt-right police officers. And, and these are people who absolutely, I mean, E-A-D hippie, eat a dick hippie, Rainbow Serpent Festival. Like, you end up with police officers like that, policing an event like that, and they go, hey, an opportunity to, you know, punch on with some hippies to rile up a situation. You know, it just, it makes my speculative brain fry a little bit because it's 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 powder kegging, you know, and why? And what for what? They say it's for drug war. Sorry, but how does how does doing that improve community health or safety? I'd like to know that, but they won't answer that question because they're obsessed with this idea that push prohibition and, you know, out comes gold. So I might just quote a little bit from uh, Deputy State Coroner Harriet Graham, who prepared the coronial inquest report into the six festival deaths in New South Wales, just for a little bit of context. So um, in the kind of introductory part of the coroner's report, um, I quote, at the outset, I acknowledge their family's pain and once again offer each family my sincere and personal condolences. The court was deeply moved by the grief expressed by parents and by their commitment to engage with the inquest process in an attempt to understand the complex factors which may have contributed to their child's death. The court was also impressed by their clear motivation to help find ways that could prevent other families experiencing the pain they bear. They come from different backgrounds and may see different solutions to the issues under investigation, but each family has shown extraordinary grace and courage. They have my full respect. Now, I quote that bit just to remind people, we talk about the policy issues, we talk about the culture war, but when it comes to looking at the, the very tragic deaths that do occur, 
these are families. These are people who have lost friends, families who have lost their children, their brothers, their sisters. And for police to be so dismissive of uh, of their pain, of their desire to improve the situation, and of a very uh, broad and deep coronial inquest that has clearly highlighted that at the moment, police, and this is a New South Wales report, but I think you know we can kind of look at the way policing happens here in Victoria also, that they are part of the problem. It was clearly stated in, in the coroner's report that the way that policing is currently happening, particularly in New South Wales, is exacerbating harm, not reducing it. And we're going to have a chat with um, Will Tregoning, who is the uh, director or ex- he's the man in charge of Unharm, <laughs> an organisation seeking uh, reform um, of drug laws. Um, but um, now what's the... Now they seek to make drug use as uh, safe, uh, harm-free, I think, and as positive as possible, we'll get Will to. We will get. We will <laughs> get Will on. So on. Will Tregoning up soon. But right now, I'm going to play you um, a track from Mr. Bill. Mr. Bill playing this Friday night at Rubik's Warehouse. Uh, it's an evening with Mr. Bill and friends. Uh, and this track is. Uh, um, for some reason, my buttons have stopped working on my computer. Mr. Bill, eye to eye with uh, Laura Brem on In Psychedelia on 3CR. Do I? 
This is in Psychedelia on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au. Uh, my name's Nick, Ash sitting across from me, and we are talking um, about oh, just some of the uh, issues going on around uh, drug policy that the government and uh, police are scrambling with, um, but crossing now to the report uh, that was released in New South Wales by the New South Wales Coroner on uh Friday, uh, the director of Unharm, uh, Will Tregoning, was at that release, and Will's on the line with us now. Will, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks, Nick. Hi, Ash. How, how are you guys? Yeah, good. Uh, busy, as um, you are too. <laughs> yeah, it's been a big week. It's um, it's been a while between catch up, uh, catch ups. Will, it's uh, there's been a lot going on in New South Wales over the last couple of months. Not only with the coroner's report, but the law enforcement conduct commission inquiry, the ICE inquiry. How Let's... are things looking in New South Wales right now? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There has been a lot going on, and one of the things that has been consistent between all those has been like pretty clear calls on the government to shift policy. Um, at the same time, they've been pretty consistently resisting doing that, um, as have police. So, yeah, it's been like a, a lot, um, a real escalation, I suppose, of the common sense position being uh, very divergent from government. And I think that the police ministers perhaps even, you know, shoved that uh, gap further apart with his comments during the week last week about uh, parents should be grateful for having their children strip searched by police. Just disgusting. Um, which, um, which I think is just sort of testament of how far government is from from the from community sentiment on this one. Still digging in and um, with the cheerleading, I suppose, of uh, New South Wales Police Executive and the Daily Telegraph. We saw... So yeah, I, I was just going to say we, we saw that uh, at this that festival, a festival uh, that was held yesterday, um, that there was uh, huge police presence. I even saw police standing in what looked like a line in front of the entrance, so that to enter the festival you had to go between police officers. I only saw a couple of pictures, but this is what it looked like with sniffer dogs, of course. The day after the report was released by the coroner. Yeah, and I suppose that reflects um, where New South Wales Police Executive is at, which is, again, uh, what's looking like an increasingly isolated position. One of the things that was striking about the um, coroner's report, uh, you know, I was there on Friday when she um, handed down the report and made quite substantial comments around it, including the reasons for reaching her recommendations and a couple of the people whom she most noted um, for their input um, were police officers from outside New South Wales, one from the ACT and, of course, the former chief of the Australian Federal Police, Mick Palmer, both of whom had advocated for something very different from um, what New South Wales police are continuing to pursue, you know, um, and very clear uh, and thoughtful evidence from ACT about why they don't use intensive policing and surveillance operations at music festivals. Um, nevertheless, we've had Mick, Mick Fuller, the New South Wales uh, Police Commissioner, make comments essentially um, outraged that uh, there could be any questions raised about the impacts of police tactics as if raising the question 
were um, itself insulting. And I think that that reflects a lack of accountability that is um, continuing. Uh, you know, the digging the heels in continues, definitely. To, um, but at the same time, there is this mounting mounting weight of um, evidence and public opinion that's really pushing hard up against what we're seeing from the Liberal Party from uh, and from police executive at the moment. So it's it's high energy right now. So something that um, myself and Nick have known for a while because we, you know, we do volunteer and, and work in harm reduction at these festivals and we hear stories from on the ground, something that we've known about for a while is like some of the more egregious behaviours uh, around strip searching, like the really hardcore cases. Um my understanding is a lot of what's coming out about that is through the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission inquiry, which is uncovering just the sheer scale of underage strip searches, strip searches being done in the street, strip searches, you know, all the different ways that um, this, this, you know, process has been happening. Yeah. Do you want to comment a little bit on that? Is it is it really starting yeah. to break through into the community that, that they can start to see, you know, through these more egregious cases, like the the depth of violation that happens to people? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, whatever people's views about drugs, or um, I think you know, there's no, no there's not a big constituency for uh, strip searching minors. That I think that that has been pretty clear and. Um, the public response to the police minister's comments. Um, in, I just want to highlight, though, that the work of the Redfern Legal Centre here in Sydney, which has been really key in driving uh, a lot of the uh, strip search, a lot of the heat, I suppose, around that issue at the moment, they have been um, working hard over the past year or so, assembling evidence uh, about the, um, the program as well as case studies with people who have experienced uh, strip searches and um, have been driving a lot of media through that, which has got the issue firmly on the agenda. And it's, I think, a real credit to their, uh, to their really clever and persistent campaigning that, that, that it's really getting traction right now. The Law Enforcement Conduct Commission has helped absolutely. And the stories that emerged from the recent inquiry that focused on um, incidents at Splendor in the Grass and also then, you know, more generally around the state. I mean, the, the, the stories that came out of that hearing were astonishing, uh, some of the admissions that police officers made about not even being briefed on um, the legal aspects of the searches and essentially just running a fairly laissez-faire kind of, um, you know, approach, which has ended with uh, traumatising uh, hundreds of people and, you know, shocking stories about a broader culture of strip search where people as young as 10 are being searched around the state. Um, so, cor correct me if I'm wrong here, Will, but because um, I haven't read all of these reports in depth yet, but um, my understanding is that as these strip searches have been going up, the amount of substances they've been finding has actually been going down. So the strip searches are becoming less effectual if they ever could be considered so is that correct yeah i mean um it's it, it's astonishing the, the some of the numbers around it um 
the growth has been phenomenal in the last 12 years. It's gone from around 300 searches a year to over 5,000 searches a year. So it's it's a radically different and um, new use of this power. Uh, these searches, yeah, mostly uh, find um, nothing that would be you know consistent with what searches are meant to be used for, which is only for cases where the seriousness and the urgency of the situation requires it, and the law is quite clear about that. Um, yeah, these typically identify people uh, with nothing illegal or with uh, substance that just would meet the threshold for a consumer drug offence. I think it's also worth noting that um, some of the stories, uh, as far as I can understand, some of the stories about especially young people being searched, um, it would seem that they are primarily Aboriginal people, um, just sort of reading between the lines of reporting. And I think that it's great that music festivals has, have uh, really highlighted one area where, where strip searches are using being used really intensively. But I think that there's an untold story too about um, how these are being used, you know, um, uh, you know, disproportionately against Aboriginal people, including minors. And um, I hope that that story begins to emerge more in, in the near future. My understanding is that the police will be back in the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission as early as uh, December this year with another complaint about strip searches. So um, that the, the, the heat around uh, that issue is going to persist. And, uh, yeah, I think it's the thing that can break the uh, surveillance program more generally. It's the clearly horrendous um, overreach that I think will uh, help shift people's perceptions about other programs too, like surveillance using uh, detection dogs and intensive policing operations at festivals. And on some of the, uh, like, moving to some of the uh, the, the responses, the, the positive responses that can happen at festivals, pill testing being one of them, uh, you've been working a lot with um, Adriana Buccianti, whose son died at, uh, uh, at a festival uh, now seven years ago, Daniel, um, and she has been campaigning uh, for much of that time for um, better harm reduction responses at festivals, including pill testing. She's now um, teaming up with other parents around the country, and I believe you've been uh, helping out out with some of that well can you update us on on that campaign also 125,791 signatures on that change.org petition as we speak yeah it's huge now and um so i was yeah at the coroner's court on friday with adriana in solidarity with the families who's um involved in the in, in the inquest uh i know for adriana it was uh, great to be there and, and to um, be in solidarity and also to have a sense of a community of parents who equally want to see policy change uh, and who are keen to work together to help make that happen. And, um, yeah, well, that's definitely something that will continue. We'll see more of that. Um, and in particular, uh, some exciting opportunities to work with, with some of the families, like the TAM family who are based up in Queensland and have been doing uh, incredible advocacy up there. I think that it has the um, possibilities to contribute to that specific policy, you know, to getting pill testing happening. I think it has also 
help to uh, change the kinds of stories and public perception uh, of drug use and responses to drug use. I think that that family's voice is a really important one. And so it's yeah, exciting to see the opportunity of a kind of coalition emerging there. Uh, Will, we'll have to leave it there unless there's any um, final things that you wanted to mention um, before we go. Oh, just that if people are in Sydney, I know you've um, got mostly Melbourne listeners, but I'll tell your friends the 23rd of November there's going to be a protest here in Sydney calling for pill testing and the end of illegal um, strip searches. That's a collaboration between Unharmed, Reclaim the Streets, Students of Sensible Drug Policy, Keep Sydney Open um, and uh, Sniff Off. So if uh, people want to get along to that, it'll be a really important moment for a show of support for change and keep the pressure on the Premier. And we will be promoting that in some upcoming episodes with some of the uh, SSDP crew as well. Uh, so we'll, And we'll make sure to put that on, on Facebook. But thank you very much for joining us today, Will, and uh, good luck with everything that's going in New South Wales. I hope that we don't see... Um, I mean, unfortunately... You know, things are probably going to happen this season. I just hope that it's not as harmful as we saw last year's season. Definitely. Thanks for having me on. Good to catch up. Will Tregoning uh, is the Director of Unharm in New South Wales and was at the Coroner's Report uh, release uh, in New South Wales uh, on Friday, uh, hearing those recommendations, which is cessation of the Sniffer Dog program at music festivals, which is introducing pill testing trials, which is all the things that everybody other than basically police associations, the police and uh, those that support them are saying. And those people are not experts in harm reduction. They're not experts in people's health. They're not experts in any of these things. Why on earth are they getting the authoritative voice in this? You have to wonder. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. On Thursday 28th of November at 12pm, environment groups and communities from across Victoria will peacefully rally together at Parliament to call for urgent action for our natural world. After five years of the Andrews government, nature deserves more, especially in the face of climate change. Victorians need new and better funded national parks, stronger nature laws and better protection for our threatened forests, rivers, beaches, oceans and native plants and animals. We need real action for our natural places and wildlife now. Join in the Nature for Life rally. Bring a sign to highlight the natural places you love that deserve better protection. See you on Parliament Steps, Thursday 28th of November at 12pm. Look for Nature for Life rally on Facebook and visit Victoria National Parks Association website vnpa.org.au forward slash rally. VNPA is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And next up, we are going to be talking about vaping. For anyone who follows the news, you would be familiar with, um, I guess, what's become an international scare campaign based on the very real... Classic moral panic. (laughs) It is. I mean, there's been some very real harms that have happened sort of tangentially related to vaping in the United States. Um, But it seems like it is less to do with vaping nicotine than some poor quality 
uh, illicit substances. So we are going to catch up with Brian Marlowe, who heads up the Legalised Vaping campaign, and I believe is now the director of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance also, who has been campaigning on these issues, I think, for about three years now. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me on again. So do you want to, let's start with the United States. What has been going on and what has been the impact of the narrative here in Australia? Yeah, so I mean, as you'd be aware, there were some pretty wide reports about, you know, quote-unquote deaths caused by vaping uh, in the United States. But it was only happening in the United States and it was only really happening in sort of the Midwest. It wasn't happening across the United States. Uh, and essentially what transpired was that uh, people were buying essentially street-bought uh, THC liquids uh, that were produced through the black market and contained vitamin E oils that we used to sort of thicken those liquids sort of in the same way that people would cut up drugs in order to make more money. Uh, and those vitamin E liquids, when, when heated and when turned into a vapour, were actually uh, harming people and it ended up killing people. So on the back of that, uh, health authorities here use what was a result of a black market to say, well, this is why we need to keep these products illegal, therefore benefiting a black market. It, it, it doesn't really make any logical sense, but health bureaucrats don't tend to be very logical sometimes. No, we've started to notice that, especially around uh, vaping. I've been um, following the issue for five, six years now, um, and I just have sort of like torn my hair out a little bit because you're made out like you're a, a, a conspiracy, like you're the one acting on behalf of the tobacco companies to somehow vape kids into smoking cigarettes. But really what it looks like is going on is that the reluctance to take up this new technology, which is highly likely to be less harmful than smoked cigarettes, and every piece of evidence we have uh, so far as saying that, yes, we don't have longitudinal studies, but you never do for new technology. That's kind of one of the things about something being new. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it, the response has been, oh, no, we can't have that because it's a gateway. Well, I can still walk within 500 metres of where I'm sitting and buy cigarettes if I want to. Well, you, can, you can go to Coles and buy cigarettes. Like, yeah. This is the ludicrous thing. So uh, health bureaucrats will talk about, oh, it could be, it, you know, it could be a gateway to smoking for kids. Well, all the evidence suggests that it's not. Uh, and of those kids that, that are accessing vapes, particularly in the US where they don't have proper sort of regulatory frameworks around how these products are sold and marketed, marketed, um, the, the demographics of kids that take these products up are demographics of kids that otherwise most likely would have taken up cigarettes. So, you know, I, I grew up in Cessnock. Uh, at Cessnock High, heaps of kids smoked there. Uh, I imagine there might be someone vaping there. Now, that's not something that should be encouraged and it should obviously be stopped in the same way that kids accessing cigarettes should be stopped. But you can't point at, you know, a quarter of a percent uh, or, or, or some statistical anomaly and use that to shut down access for adults who are trying to access a, a reduced harm alternative. It's just, it, it, it's just unfair. So overseas, we've seen in the UK and New Zealand in particular, vaping has kind of become incorporated into the <clears throat> into the health system and um, here in Australia we've got the the Australian Cancer Council that's very opposed to vaping but they're out of step with overseas sort of cancer bodies is that correct yeah so they're they're out of step with cancer research UK which is sort of like a similar body in in the United Kingdom uh, American Cancer Institute I believe it's called same thing they they, they initially opposed vaping until they reviewed all the evidence and then they changed their position so 
I, I don't really know what more what what evidence the Cancer Council needs to see to show that these products are you know reduced risk. Um, unfortunately, in Australia, they have what's called the precautionary principle, which is essentially we're not going to support it until uh, literally you know pigs fly sort of thing. It's 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 a bad position to have because at the end of the day, you're looking at about 52 to 53 Australians dying every single day because of smoking related illnesses. Just, just on the precautionary principle for a second now, because that might be a new phrase to some people. We've been um, talking about it a little bit before, but can you just uh, explain it for any listener that's... Um, well, es- especially explain the effects that it has on the introduction of new technology, uh, not just in health areas, there's other areas that this principle is used, um, but can you talk to us a little bit about um, the, the, the potential harm um, that that, can, that principle can do? Yeah, so the precautionary principle sort of, sort of states that, you know, they're not going <laughs> to... That the government or, or the government bodies are not going to adopt a new product unless they've basically run the gamut of all kinds of tests internally and all kinds of research to essentially confirm what we already know from, from overseas organisations. The flow-on effect from that, though, is that you have people that could access these uh, potentially life-saving technologies who are unable to because we create a regulatory framework that stops them from doing that until we've done the studies that have already been done by our counterparts, you know, the Food and Drug Administration, by Public Public Health England and the Royal College of Physicians and other organisations like that. So it, it's sort of a, you know, softly, softly, safely approach. But the flow-on effect, and I think it's an unseen for a lot of these bureaucrats, is that people are dying that don't necessarily, that otherwise shouldn't. So, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. We saw, um, reported on the ABC, I think it was... Um maybe over the weekend or earlier in the... No, I think it was on Tuesday. There, there was reports of a new study that showed that uh, vape, e-cigarette vapour was producing a certain enzyme in lung tissue cells. Therefore, vaping is as harmful as cigarettes. Uh, <clears throat> are you familiar with this research, Brian? And could you tell us a little yeah, bit about maybe what's going is, on there? My understanding is, is... I think that was a study that came out of the University of Tasmania... Uh, a lot of these studies, what they do is they go, we exposed uh, blood cells or something like that to, to nicotine and the blood cells were damaged. So, yes, if you expose you know, cells in a petri dish to a lot of chemicals, they'll get damaged. The, the issue here is that no one's saying that these products are harmless. Uh, anyone who is saying that the products are harmless needs their head read. Uh, the products are less harmful than cigarettes. So when you hear uh, people say, well, we've tested these products out and we found, say... Um, I think it's diacetyl, which can potentially cause popcorn lung. Okay, cigarettes have that in levels, you know, thousands of times greater than than uh, vapes do. So you're talking about comparative harms, and the issue in Australia is that essentially they, if they find anything that could potentially be a harm on a product, they equate the two, uh, and they don't have what's called a harm reduction principle, which is what countries like the UK use and New Zealand and Canada and even in America they're starting to use when it comes to health policy. So these countries used to have a precautionary principle in in how they would approach health policy, but now they have a harm reduction principle, which is why you see as a separate issue pill testing in a lot of European countries, but you don't see it here. I'm just wondering if it's sort of um, this this use of um, highly hi- highly sort of technical pieces of research to almost can fuzzle people. I mean, we've seen this kind of uh, tactic before, but usually it's from like anti-vaxxers or uh, you know groups that are looking to do things that generally the public health uh, people are um, on the right side of things. Um, but I think it, it's just 
befuddling that using these uh, using sort of science scientific studies that are not quite really. Um, well, I think that with some of these, with my understanding of particularly some of the research that was happening maybe three or four years ago, it was kind of out of the prohibitionist playbook. They did yeah. this with cannabis yeah. like 30 years ago. They would take a primate, like a monkey or something, throw him in a room and just pump that room full of cannabis smoke for like 16 hours and go, well, there you go. It's harmful. And it's like, that's not how people use cannabis. Mm. That's and, weaponized. And, yeah. And so I... I, I I'm familiar with some of the older studies on e-cigarettes and what they would do was like just essentially hold the trigger on until it burnt out the wick. And when it burns out the wick, it produces more harmful chemicals. But if a, if somebody using the product was actually using it, it would taste bad and they would stop doing that. Well, the, the other thing is you, you just can't. So if you, I don't know if you've ever uh, used a vape where you've sort of run low on liquid and, and then the wick burns a bit. Just you, you, you can't inhale that. You automatically cough. Um, but no, you're correct. So there have been tests where they've just done that and they've just started burning a wick and then gone, well, if someone was to be vaping with a burnt wick, it would be very harmful. It's like, okay, well, good thing that they physically can't do that. So um, we are going to have to wrap up in a minute. But before we do, Brian, I, I know that you engage with a lot of the um, stores. And could yeah. you tell us a little bit on about what's going on with the stores at the moment and whether those policy settings that allow Australian e-cigarette stores to operate, and, a, a, what direction things are heading and, in And there. just being clear, this is the legal regulated environment we're talking about, not, not supporting a particular commercial enterprise, but the legal regulated environment. You're speaking to all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I think I might just cast back to where we first were speaking about uh, what was happening in America uh, and how dodgy journalism and fake reports coming out of uh, bureaucratic offices can actually hurt industry. So as a flow-on from that, all of these vape shops in Australia that don't stock tobacco products, they don't even stock nicotine. They just essentially stock flavoured liquids that help people quit smoking. Uh, they found that as a result of all these reports coming out of the US saying, you know, vaping kills as opposed to vaping street bought liquids kill, um, people stopped buying what are called starter kits, which are like, you know, you're a smoker, you walk into a vape shop, you buy a vape and the liquids, off you go, and hopefully you'll quit smoking. So essentially, that all stopped, and vape shops were, were losing about 20 to 30% of their business as a result of poor reporting. And the flow on from that as well, though, was that all those people who were buying starter kits, those are, those are smokers that could potentially have gotten onto a less harmful product. So, like, that's the real-world implication of when a bureaucrat just lazily writes up a media release saying vaping kills because they probably just don't like vaping. They don't consider what the flow-on effect from that is. Now, the businesses are starting to get those customers back uh, now that more news has sort of actually investigated the issue and found, oh, actually, it wasn't nicotine or, or, or regular liquids at all. It was just street-bought black market products. Uh, but... You know, I guess the only thing I would say is that is that people who work in journalism and and people that work in health policy really need to consider the implications of what happens when they use dodgy journalism or dodgy reports. And, uh, and just to, to be just to be clear example. here, Brian, as well, like these these e-cigarette vendors, this isn't big tobacco, right? Big tobacco doesn't no, own these but, stores. No, these. I mean, these, uh, these are all working class people that found a new technology. I mean, mo the biggest. The biggest vape shop in Melbourne is Wick and Wire, which is run by a guy named Stu. He has three shops. Five years ago, he was working in IT, uh, and he found a way out of smoking, and then he thought about essentially 
you know, selling these products to some of these friends, and it sort of built up from there. It's a pretty, aren't, pretty know, common story for that industry. Various big tobacco uh, groups. These are just working class people who have managed to help people quit smoking and build a small business. I mean, it's something that as Australians we should all support. All right, I think we will have to leave it there. Brian, thank you for joining us this afternoon on Encyclopedia. No worries. Thanks, guys. Brian Marlowe. The uh, director of um, the Australian Taxpayers Alliance and the head of the Legalised Vaping Australia campaign. And I think you can uh, support them. I mean, really, the best way to support this issue is to uh, wrap your head around what's actually going on. If something seems like it's maybe in the moral panic territory, I really want you to start to recognise this. My friend on the other side of this microphone, moral panics are the... The like they're the they're the compost of prohibition, and this is what's going on in the vaping space. Um, it's it, we need to be able to recognise moral panics. You need to be able to see, especially when you see certain kinds of people quoted, and you don't hear other voices recognise that there might be a moral panic going on. Well, I think as well, if you are a person who vapes already, or somebody who's thinking about trying uh, vaping as a pathway out of um, smoking, go to your local vape store. Like, as Brian said, most of these people who started these stores, particularly the ones that have been around for a few years, they are ex-smokers who are passionate about getting people off smoking. And so they can give you professional advice. They can help you out with it. And importantly as well, they're operating in an environment where most of the governments around Australia essentially don't want them to be there. They would shut them down if if they could. And um, just another reminder as well that... uh Vaping nicotine in most states in Australia, in Victoria, is illegal without a prescription. So most of the time when people are vaping, they're not even vaping nicotine. They're vaping vaping a a, a flavoured compound, and it's not uh, at all related to the thing uh, in the US which caused those deaths and hospitalisations, which was vitamin E acetate, which was used in a black market cannabis-related product. Uh, This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. Just an interesting one that popped up uh, over my uh, Facebook feed from Mixmag uh, by uh, author called or journalist called Will Crisp. Uh, he's on Twitter at Bill Gribbs, B-I-L-G-R-I-B-S, um, who is in Lebanon. And the uh, article, uh, artic- title of the article is Protest All Day, Party All Night, How Rave is Uniting the Lebanese Rebellion. And he says a DIY protest rave movement has spread across Lebanon with a message of unity over sectarianism. Uh, some do disagree with whether partying and unlicensed raves are an appropriate form of protest. Uh, it's always going to happen when that's the kind of protest you've got going on, uh, especially when the possible outcomes for the country are so serious. But what we're seeing and what I've, what I've read from, uh, from Will's take on this movement is essentially... Uh, um, it's a movement of unity um, beyond the sectarian violence that happens uh, in uh, Lebanon, but also in other uh, uh, Middle East countries, especially between uh, different sects of Islam, Shia and um, the Shia, uh, Shia and Shiite. Thank you. Yes, I think I got that right. Um, and um, th- this is just an expression of that unity of community coming together. Um, a- and what he was saying in the article is that it's, it's interesting because in other parts of even some of the cities like Beirut, there is uh, a lot of tension, a lot of aggression. But in these parts, it's people coming out, it's people partying together all night. So it's a real strange juxtaposition that's going on there with these people calling for the for more unity, but then there is the, also the potential of crackdowns because there's checkpoints all over uh, Lebanon um, and all sorts of other unrest going on. 
Um, and did you have any any? Oh no, I was wondering if you were going to play the track. Do we have time? Yeah, no, I am going to play the track. Uh, So there was also (laughs) a track played by uh, one of the DJs, um, and the uh, track uh, is uh, a a remix of Zaki uh, Nasif's Rajir Yitamar. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Yitamar. maybe uh it's an arabic folk anthem from lebanon civil war which directly translates as we will rebuild uh and the remix was created by the uh lebanese producer i'm about to play now uh, he's also a former nba basketball player his name's ronnie uh, sekali and it was a direct response to the protests and was being played uh on the streets of beirut uh on October 21st, so just a just a couple of weeks ago, uh, in Lebanon, and where where did I put it in here? Uh, <laughs> there it is, and here it is for you now. This is in Psychedelic on 3CR. Enjoy.
from Lebanon, from the streets of Lebanon, where uh, raves are, uh, DIY rave scene is uh, taking over to try and bring people together in times of unrest. That is uh, a track uh, from the DJ Ronnie Saikali. It's a remix of uh, Rajir Yitamar, uh, which is a uh, Arabic uh, folk song uh, on 3CR. And for you now, on Wednesday night at uh, Cinema Nova was another screening of Dost, uh, the movie that has been um, doing the rounds around Australia. It's been in Sydney, it's been in Perth. I think Perth was just the other night, Adelaide as well. Um, Story about a uh, young woman's uh, struggle with opiate addiction and using various kinds of uh, what can broadly be uh, described as plant medicines, including mushrooms, ibogar, uh, to try and treat her addiction. Um, Afterwards was a panel hosted by Cam Duffy from the Australian Psychedelic Society uh, and uh, had um, Nigel Strauss, uh, who is a researcher. He's uh, also part of Mind Medicine Australia's um, academic advisory board. And this was a little bit of their interaction uh, at Cinema Nova on Wednesday night. Nigel, you've uh, seen quite a few films that are focused on the theme of the use of psychedelic medicines, both in conventional and unconventional ways to help with the healing and therapeutic journey. What did you notice about this film? Yeah, well, there's been a rush of... There's been three films in the last month or two. I've been to all of them. They've all been very interesting. I think this one was more interesting because of the aboga, um, which probably is the least um, known. Not that much is known about aboga in Australia. Uh, It hasn't really been used widely. But um, interestingly, it's legal in New Zealand, and there is... I don't know if there's more than one clinic. I know there's definitely one clinic over there. So... Uh, it's closer than we think, and um, there just isn't the energy at the moment to um, introduce a bogey into Australia, but I think films like this will really help, and I think there's such a big problem with opiates that uh, hopefully it'll happen soon. And the role of Oboga, which has otherwise been used in West African sort of uh, shamanic rituals, so it's kind of um, given a sort of function in those cultures to, I guess... Um, enable the confrontation with the self um, and a rite of passage in a way for entering, I guess, the the tribe as an adult, perhaps. Uh, The way it's used, as you've seen in this film, is for uh, rapid kind of um, a resetting or remodulation of the opioid system, which um, was one of the problems why mushrooms uh, didn't simply work for Adrienne. There was still the opioid dependency that her nervous system was kind of caught up in, um, and the function of the obiga, sorry, was um, to work on that system. It has a psychotherapeutic component to it, as you sort of witnessed how that was built into the ritual and um, looking at integrating some of that those themes. But the work on the nervous system to enable the rap- more rapid recovery and um, remodulation of that system was the function essentially it played in and I guess Adrian's journey. Do you have any further comments on that? Because it's quite complicated, isn't it? It's complicated. And, and look, it was a great film and, and it detailed things quite well. It was just done in a way that was a little bit disorganised as far as I'm concerned. Look, I approach this whole thing from a very medical point of view. I think we have to standardise it and I'm to try and understand these drugs and work with them in a clinical way. There's a huge movement I know of people who want to just get on with it and use them and, and there are people who are using them. That's fine, I don't really have an opinion on that. 
But my, my, my interest is that we've got to try and understand these drugs and standardise their use and use them safely. And I think that um, I was a bit concerned with the way this was presented in that nowadays, um, if we have someone who's addicted to opiates um, and we are going to use a boga, then um, we don't really, we, we're not going to consider the psilocybin until later. There's a whole lot of things about that film that were just a little bit um, awry uh, in that, in, you know, they were giving them grams of, mu um, of mushrooms and we don't know what the dosage of the psilocybin and the mushrooms were and having major doses and minor doses. It was all a bit, a bit much in a way. I think that, um, and, and also the other interesting thing about that girl, and this is from a psychiatric point of view because I'm a psychiatrist, I wasn't quite sure, or that woman, I wasn't quite sure about where she was coming from. They didn't really paint the picture of her background adequately. She was addicted to the drug. She'd been through some sort of, had some issues. We never found out what they were. We didn't really know what the relationship with her parents were, um, you know, what sort of relationship she had with the stepfather. I, I just feel from a psychiatric point of view, I like to know context. I don't like to know why people get into those situations. I know she had a terrible problem with substances, but why? And we never really got to the bottom of that. But she ended up being uh, a, a very uh, serious addict and 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 then it was, it, we didn't really, um, we found out that she was taking more opiates than she told the people who were treating with the boga. That's a very dangerous situation. And later on, she started using again. The, the thing about avoga that people really have to keep in mind is that it sensitizes you to opiates, so that if you're using opiates, you do the avoga program, you go back to your old dose, it can kill you because your body is much more sensitive. And that's a real problem. She was very lucky, in fact, that she didn't die. So there's all that stuff, and I'm a little bit overwhelmed by it all. But Alboga is effective. You have to cut back on the amount of medication that people are using, know how much they're using. So it should be done in a very controlled way. She probably should have gone in a week or two before and so the, and been prescribed the opiates while she was waiting to use the aboga. It's a safe practice, and I think that's very important. And afterwards, again, it's very important that the, the drug, that she, that she be looked after, and she was. I'm not saying these, but these people had all the best of intentions. I'm not criticising them for that. But, we do need controls, and I think that part of the problem, and as pointed out in the film, is that um, psychedelic medicines are still not uh, freely available, obviously, but it's starting to change, and hopefully the situation will be rectified, and eventually these drugs will be used, and I think early studies, the film too, show that they can be very effective. So with her, uh, the aboga treatment, it, it, it stops the withdrawals, it, it, it gets you off, the, it's a detox, it's a very can be a very deep experience for people. They can really go into themselves to try and understand themselves. Uh, one of the blokes in the film said everybody gets better on a boga. That's not true either. Uh, some people do, some people don't. There's relapses. The key to all psychedelic treatments, whether it's a boga, um, mescaline, LSD, MDMA, is that you've got to follow it up. There's got to be integration, and people have to if people do gain great insight into themselves, which, which does happen with these psychedelic drugs and these experiences, transformative experiences. There has to be integration and there has to be long-term follow-up. You can't just, you know, she was taking all this psilocybin for the movie, you know, uh, that's, uh, it, it glamorised it a bit, I thought, but um, nevertheless, it should be done 
uh, in proper context. I'm speaking as a psychiatrist because I think this, these drugs have to be used safely and Doc properly. Dr Nigel Strauss there speaking at the uh, end of the uh, Dosed uh, panel on Wednesday night at Cinema Nova. There's still screenings happening at Cinema Nova if you want to go and see that movie about a young woman's journey uh, trying to seek help for her opiate addiction with psilocybin, Ibiga uh, and Ash. Uh, on the 23rd of November, myself and Nick will be hosting a drug policy panel at the How Curious, a festival of ideas put on by Weird, who hosts a bunch of events in New South Wales. That will be happening at Kindred Studios in Yarraville from 12pm. Come along. And just quickly, it's APSAD this week. That is the Australian profession of uh, something, alcohol, drug addiction, uh, which is happening down in Hobart. A lot of uh, our harm reduction workers and the treatment sector will be there. And last week was the Drug Reform, Drug Law Reform uh, Policy uh, Alliance Conference in the US in St. Louis. That's um, actually, just, yeah, I that think that's happened. also this weekend, maybe. No, nah, just finished. Oh, okay. See you later. We're in here up next. This has been a 3CR Comments, podcast. Complaints. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.